Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Aaron. And this is Southern Stories. Southern Stories is the show where we have conversations with real people about their lives in the South. And today we have Mr. Jeff Metters. That's right, Jeff Metters, preacher extraordinaire. And Southern man extraordinaire. That's right. Well, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but yeah, today we talked to Jeff, and it's a little, it, to me, it felt like it was a different sort of episode. You know, usually we try to get a taste for what the, the life of a Southern person is and how they kind of perceive that life and how they fit into it. And and we do get that a little bit, but I feel like more we weigh, we may, we, we weigh in more on his works as an individual more so than a Southern person, I would think. Yeah, that's true a little bit, but Jeff also gives us a pretty nice comparison between uh, the folks in Colorado and here and gives us a sort of perspective about the religious makeup of the South that we don't get to hear too often. Yeah, I, I, I was really, I really enjoyed this episode because I mean, religion is always a fascinating topic and to be able to talk to somebody who's, whose whole life has been involved in that sort of thing. It, it paints a very nice picture. Um, and it's it's also just, it's interesting to hear his take from when he went to Colorado as well as California. Yeah, and I, get, I feel like Jeff has a pretty intuitive perspective on human behavior that I didn't, I didn't quite expect. Yeah, I mean, he was, he's a really interesting fellow. He's a smart guy, a nice guy. It was it was nice to get down to sit down and talk to him. Yeah. So, why don't we just uh why don't we just let him hear it? Uh, yeah, I guess it's time enough for it. Here is here's Jeff Metter's Southern Story. Yeah, okay. So, um we usually just do like uh uh, start from well, the youth like, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, as far as our structure goes, we we like to go. Oh, sorry. You, no, you're I good. I didn't mean that. Usually, Jerk. it's like that's where we start is your childhood, and then we kind of go into who you are now and like where you want to go and like how the South kind of fit in and all of that. Yeah, because go. <laughs> we I'm usually just... end up interrupting you because we'll hear things that intrigue us and it's it's kind of this weird meandering thing well we'll see where it goes yeah um but generally it starts off with something kind of not relevant like like this like you look very familiar to me like i've seen you around somewhere i don't know i um, get that a lot people ask me if i uh, work at redbeard's tattoo oh in uh, in hot springs but i haven't i don't haven't well, um, Aaron tells me that you're involved in some sort of church affiliation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a preacher. It's my main deal. And do you go... Because I feel like I've seen you handing out some kind of flyer or something. Because or, I used to work at Mazio's Pizza. And there, I remember one time somebody came in and was like, Hey, we've got this thing going on. It'd be great if you could... Yeah, I got... Uh, Mazio's gave us a sponsorship for our car show. Our church does a car show every year. That's as what it was. That's exactly what it was. We raise money for Habitat for Humanity, um, and also we raise uh, we you know 
people become aware that our church exists and doesn't suck because of this car show we do. It's kind of a, if those people like the things that I like, then maybe they're okay. So it's good for uh, PR for our church. And, uh, you know, we raise a couple thousand dollars every year for Habitat to build homes for working poor folks. So we're excited about that. Mm-hmm. But that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. I'm not afraid to go ask for money for, for something else, for someone else. And I, and I do it well. Maybe we need to figure out how to do that. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing how few knows I get. Yeah ask money for us although i don't know if it's a worthy cause but <laughs> we can make it i guess you can sell anything like that if you just uh, spin it the right way i don't know maybe we just need a new spin um well i'm glad that mystery's been solved for me uh, so that's all i've got i'm done <laughs> you're good so we know that but that helps establish though where you're at now so you preach but you're also you're going to start um a new ministry in texas right that's right in about a month in about a month, and uh, we like I want to talk about that, but if we get into that first, yeah, I'll, that's all I'll get we'll started talking about. Yeah, yeah. sorry. So, um, where were you? Were you born in the South, or yes, uh, Mesquite, Texas, uh-huh. East Dallas. Oh, okay. So uh, you left. Is that is that where you're going back to? Where is no, it? no, we're going to just south of Abilene. Now, we uh-huh. went co- went to college in Abilene, but uh, grew up in Mesquite, a big rodeo country. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you you were raised there. Yes. Yeah. Did you have any rodeo activities? Uh, no, no. Um, we we lived in the country, but we were really city folks um, mm. mostly. Uh, we attended. It was a great drop-off date for me and my now bride. When we were fourteen and fifteen, my parents would just drop us off, and because it was kind of an enclosed area, and we could we could date there. Oh, at the rodeo. Yeah, we weren't uh, you know allowed to date. But we could go there somehow, and so it was like, you know, seven to eleven at night, entertainment, and you know, well, to be together. Like not dating, but like a, a like a social arena that you could both mutually yeah visit in a non-dating capacity. Her parents approved of that, and, and I like that. I just wanted to be near her. Well, yeah. And you met you met that's Cam. You met her when you were uh, eighth grade. Eighth yeah, grade. Cam's family showed up at our church in Mesquite when I was in the eighth grade. We both were and. And, uh, you know, sparks flew. Mm-hmm. Sparks flew at the radio. A rodeo. Right? Radio. I went to a rodeo once, and um, just once. It was kind of a, a strange environment. I suppose there's not a whole lot of romance opportunities there, though. <laughs> I don't know. Work for me. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's true. You said she's now your bride? Oh, yeah. yeah? I feel I feel like, on a, just on a side note, I feel like you could write a really great country song about <laughs> yeah. this. But, well, if we had a dramatic breakup, I could, you know. Yeah, well, oh, that's right. Country can song can't be about good news. <laughs> fabricate the dramatic <laughs> breakup. But, uh, well, maybe we'll work on that at the end of the show. <laughs> but uh, you, um, so you grew up in Texas, and what was what was childhood like for you there? All right, yeah, and I'm sorry, I certainly don't want to spoil your age, or you know, if you want to keep that hidden. But about how what time frame? Because you're a little bit older than us. Um, I'm assuming. Yes, I am. Because <laughs> you, you look it, is what he said. Yeah. Well, hey, just be thankful this is radio. <laughs> no, it's just all the wisdom that's coming off. It's like uh, age and wisdom. There you go. But, uh, so, <laughs> well, I, what time frame was it when you were growing up there? Like, well, I was a child of the 80s. We'll say it that okay. way. My first date when, with my bride was Back to the Future in the theater in 1985. Uh, uh, yeah. Not the radio. rodeo. It was no. Back to the Future. Was that the same... 
Same gal? Yeah, oh yeah, same gal. I haven't done a lot of dating. I, I know what I want. That's good, though. I mean, that's... Uh... Okay, so the 80s. Texas in the 80s. I was just... Yeah, I, gr- I graduated in 90. So, I'm 43. Okay. Just turned it. All out there now. There. All the cards uh, on the table. There it is. Okay. okay. Um, and you... Um... I'm a little lost now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, because the 80s could be different from the 90s, could be different from the 70s yeah. or whatever. Yeah, know. I think that's definitely true. The um, 90s were a cultural desert. Yeah. The 80s were at least colorful. <laughs> you see, I'm a 90s kid. Sorry, like, yeah, sorry, bro. I think you just hit us both. <laughs> Kurt Cobain does not represent my generation. Well, that's, uh, he, um, he almost seems to represent the 90s generation. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. Yeah. Um, maybe that's just because he he died in the 90s and that's when everybody kind of scoops up on oh this guy's dead so let's listen to his he music. must be great yeah all the great artists are dead Kurt Cobain Romeo Hitler whatever <laughs> I guess but we we um uh you grew so you grew up in Texas what was uh what was your childhood like there was it what's a typical day in the childhood life of Jeff Mattis? oh you know I was uh I was a child of really older parents and so I was almost like a grandchild mm. and it almost like an only child really because my siblings were so much older they're just about out of the house and uh, so you know we kind of lived out in the country so I was I don't know it was just it was quiet I guess um, I so the country in Texas that's like a lot of flatlands right yeah it was you know it was, it was. we lived five miles outside of town outside of a suburb so we were kind of really out in the sticks for you know what seemed like uh, compared to my friends who are suburban types, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, watched the Dukes of Hazard, shot my bow and arrow, pretended to be a cowboy. Oh yeah, that, that was my like childhood. A kid. Huh. Um, I had a little red wagon. Were you were you a trouble troublesome <laughs> child or? No, no, yeah. I was. Well, I was probably I was obnoxious to be sure. You know, I grew up in church. My daddy was an elder in the church when I was born, and so I, you know, I alienated most of my friends by overly uh you know proselytizing them and trying to get them to come to church and stuff oh, really? even from probably first grade i was hounding them to it was important you know it was a matter of yeah. uh, eternity hung in the balance and was that and effect- I was a driven effective? first grader and you said you alienated yourself because of that probably did, i did probably they, pushed did, too hard did they know? actually kind of distance themselves well I, we won't blame it on jesus it was probably my personality yeah <laughs> well, it's like, or it could be them. I mean, yeah, I mean, choice, I was, but... I was, you know, it was, I was very hardline evangelical child, and I was doing my best to get them to heaven, and you know, and it, it, I was obnoxious. I'm, I have no doubt I was obnoxious looking back on it. Yeah, that seems like a good approach. I mean, if you believe in it, you know, you gotta <laughs> send them, like, send them that way. But, huh? So, did did they stop coming around? Your friends? Oh, oh, uh, there was no around. I lived out in the country. Oh, I didn't have any neighborhood friends, so you know. So okay, so these people that these you are just school acquaintances that oh, I and you they know, couldn't I'd get call away them on the landline telephone, dial, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. hey, you know, would you come to church with me on Wednesday night? They're like, no, I gotta <laughs> rock this Atari, you know, or whatever, and. uh <laughs> so yeah, that in, was in doing that you made the road. Yes, I was road. making the finger 
rotary <laughs> dial. You know, in a zero, you hated the people with zeros because you had to go so far. Uh, yeah. All the way around the horn there to dial a zero. That's good exercise, unlike yeah. today's kids. Well, I thought those phones were amazing because my grandma had one and I would, I didn't have anybody to call, but I would dial the numbers. It was just like. They are, they're great. I owned one up until maybe a year ago because when the power's out, uh, your cordless phone won't work because it has, it's plugged into the wall. So that, the, uh, you know, the Melamine gigantic phone is, you know, useful in that case. And of course, it's self-defense as well. I mean, you could take the receiver in one hand and the, the console in the other. You could defend yourself. You've got a cord between, I mean, in, in a pinch. Well, it sounds like the, you're prepared. The old school phone. Hey, I'm a, I'm a dad. So, right, gotta be ready for anything. Yeah, no, I'm sure that I've seen rotary phones used as weapons many times in film. Oh yeah, but <laughs> that's something you think about. You couldn't do that with an iPhone. Just no, you just no, you'd be worried about breaking it. Yeah. you know, gosh, <laughs> probably fall on it and just let yourself take the hits just to protect <laughs> <Yeah>. the phone. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, 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 it's using the other foot. So, yeah. uh, so those were the school acquaintances. You never got, were able to wrangle them in, but. Did, so you didn't have any friends that came to your house or anything during your childhood? I mean, oh, sure not, not much. Friend. You know, there was a couple of girls that moved in uh, kind of down the hill behind us uh, that I noticed uh, and, you know, tried to get close to them a little bit. One day I was riding my bike around this big, uh, you know, big giant block. Well, it was probably three or four miles. You know, I was probably 10 years old and that was okay back then to ride your bike for miles and miles without being, you know, fear of being abducted or whatever. And I ran across this little girl that was my uh, sweetheart in kindergarten. <laughs> and this was like, I don't know, fourth grade or something, somewhere, somewhere between fourth and fifth grade. And we kind of rekindled. My parents took her with us on vacation. Can't, I would never do that. Because yeah. I, I know what I thought then. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't no sweethearts of my kids going on vacation to Branson or wherever with us. Yeah, that's good advice. I, I've got two boys, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You just got to, you know, do your best. But, uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of neighborhood folks. You know, it was a it was a good long way. So you um, you 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 spent your whole childhood then in, in Texas and then... Yeah, I took college and you know went to uh, went to Abilene Christian University mm -hmm. uh, when I finished high school and uh, you know we were there four or five years. Moved to North North Texas, Denison, Texas after college for a year, and then back to Fort Worth and started the church right out. Of, you know, as soon as I finished college, we we started church in the inner city in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, so well before we jump into your adulthood. Um, it, you've got this line here that's connecting everything, which is this the religion. Yeah. Uh, so you grew up in it, and you tried to socialize with it, try to get your friends to come to school, your so your school acquaintances, um, and you went to uh, the college, like what Abilene, yeah, uh, Christian, Christian, yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it's had a big impact on you, but is there is there some way that you can kind of define it? Like, is it just because you grew up with it and your dad was an elder? And like, how did how did it stick with you your whole life? Why do you think that it took to you so well? Well, I, I would just say because good people took the time to invest in me. You know, uh, people that really bought into it, people that really believed it, took the time to encourage me and to teach me. And, uh, you know, like, really kind of took me under their wing. And... Um, I found that belief is a choice. 
and uh, you know you you get around people that uh, you you love them, and so you begin to believe what they believe because you see it working. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think that was my story that I saw it working in the lives of my family, uh, my parents, godly good people that really practice what they preach, and uh, you know, and uh, and took the time to you know to give me give me some of that teaching that I believe was legitimate. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that always happens for everybody. And so, so with that, that nurturing sort of environment, um, did it just seem natural to you that you would kind of go along that path through your college? And what is it that you said you did after you got out of college in Fort Worth? You Yes, I mean, as soon as we finished college, uh, my wife and I went and started a church in the inner city called Fortress Church and Fortress Ministries. We did, you know, it was like a church, but a lot more services. Was that just the plan? Like... Did that? Were you thinking about that while you were in high school, or? Well, you know, in high school, I, I used to draw pictures of uh, of where we would live, and I, I had fully intended to be a missionary, kind of like on the west side of Jamaica. We get the sunsets, you know. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't all it wasn't all righteous, you know. I I didn't want to <laughs> to live a, that lifestyle. I, I thought it was the whole tropical thing, you know. Living in Texas, you want to be tropical because it's totally not Texas you know when you're a teenager you want to get far away from whatever you're around and uh, you know we had plans had plans to be a missionary and and ended up being a domestic one instead of uh, a foreign type missionary um, okay so so you you kind of had like you knew that it was going to stay within the religious sect um, yeah it, God chased me uh, you know I, I couldn't I, like I went to Abilene Christian because a a full ride scholarship came to me and was handed to me, you know, handed to my my sweetheart, so we could go to the school for free and and uh, so what were we to do, you know? But go get a college education for nothing because I wasn't the fastest or the smartest. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't, you know, uh, whatever the the you know smart kid. And here I had this this gift laid on me, and so it, it seemed natural to give it back to God by studying his his stuff, you know. And what did you get your degree in? Bible missions. Bible missions. Okay, and so that you that that was something that you selected because you planned on doing missionary work. Yeah, probably uh, made my junior year of high school. God really rang my bell, and uh, I was doing a lot of metal working stuff. I took mm-hmm. a half a day course, and 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 I actually have welded my my way through college when you know for for money. Uh, but uh, yeah, God rang my bell on on a trip that you know a state contest. Uh, maybe that was a, a big moment or something, but I just determined this is this is not the path I want. This is the path I want, you know. And uh, well, it's it's intriguing to me because I mean it's it's like a it's it's a very beautiful story, you know. You've got like this great happy religious. I, I'm not very good at putting it in the words, but it's like it's like perfect almost, you know, the way you're describing it, but. I'm just trying to sort of cross-reference it with other people because there sure. are people who live, you know, even in your community who probably went to your church. Yeah, not everybody had the same experience. Right. And it's like, because the South is kind of considered a Bible, the Bible Belt, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. In that age, especially, Christendom. But it's not, not, not everybody has that sort of, like, strong moral belief or... No. Is this, like... Because you're a religious man and it's so much in your life, I would be curious as to what your take on that is. Is like within the South, like why is it that 
that it's so strongly felt and lived within you, but not so much on a widespread basis? Or is it? I mean, I don't know. No, I wouldn't say it's it's widely practiced. You know, maybe held beliefs are held, uh, but they're not practiced. There's a lot more orthodoxy than there is orthopraxy. Mm. Uh, I, boy, I couldn't tell you. Um, yeah, and I'm not trying to get off I, on like a religious train. No, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't debate you uh, or be offended by anything you said. But I, I just, I don't know why. I don't know why people don't follow their religious beliefs every day with a great amount of zeal, you know. But lots of folks just do what's good for business, you know. This nationalistic kind of a religion that's, you know, it's more a good old boy than it really is following Jesus. What would you? Do you think that there's something more pressing or more relevant in the South about religion and churches than, I mean, have you traveled around in the North or been to under- No, yeah, I'm so Southern, I haven't taken part much. I've, I've spent most of my life here below the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, I know that you spent some time in California, though, right? We did. We were a year in California and, and loved the Christians we met there. We were three years in Denver uh, and loved the Christians we met there because it is not good for business. You know, uh, in those places to be a Christian, and so the folks who were Christians really, really were spent more time in people's homes, ate more meals with people than I ever did in the wonderful greasy South. You know, okay. Really? Um, huh. We in the South, we we talk about grits, but we don't have people over. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it the community wasn't there when we got to Denver. You know, there were fifty people at our house from the church ready to unload our moving van uh put our beds together and whisk us away to feed us and love on us you know uh and care for us and uh and it was done in an hour's time you know uh, it was it but we never experienced that yeah and that's like that's that seems to be a pretty strong like that should be the southern experience or whatever when i when i was growing up i know that i mean my parents had people over all the time our house always had people in it always eating our food and sharing meals with us but as an adult i haven't necessarily had that same experience of course that that falls on me as well i mean that's it's a two-way street but um yeah i mean i know what you're saying is it's interesting but you worked with um, when you were in. You guys were in California. You worked with the youth there. Is that correct? yeah? We worked with uh, yeah folks on Venice Beach and Santa Monica Boulevard. You know, there's tons of uh, homeless teenagers to <laughs> and homeless young adults. You know, uh, thirteen to thirty. Uh, that was our California experience, and then in Denver also. We started a ministry called Dry Bones Denver um, in in Denver, and it went so well that after three years, we left our five year plan. And went to California to start another of the same thing because there was so many, was such a great need, and the church had a great response. Yeah. When we presented them with a, with God's will and a plan, they jumped on it. And what did you do? You we hung out, and we we engaged Christian teenagers and taught them how to be evangelists hmm. uh, by listening, by drinking pop and hanging out because teenagers are like experts at hanging out and so we just said you know we're going to baptize your the thing you do best and so we got uh christian teenagers and uh gutter punk uh punk rocker looking kids in denver into the same room we ran a pool hall out every thursday night and uh made the church kids pay because they're suburban kids they had money and we (laughs) and the street kids were free and we just got them in the same room and one by one, the, the you know the street kids would go. You got a church, don't you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, 
pick me up Sunday or whatever. And the groups would adopt, you know, would adopt kids. And I've got guys right now that were, you know, that we worked with years ago who are running sound in churches and who are even leading prayers that, uh, you know, you know, uh, have a hundred tattoos or (laughs) I have a a two foot tall Mohawk, you know, Uh, those guys have found community in, in some of those churches. And I don't mean to backtrack a little bit, but I just realized we never asked you this. But you said your dad was a uh, an elder. Yeah, Is that what he did full time, or did? Oh he... no, no, it was just he was yeah. a businessman. He, um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he was in the import business when I was growing up. He would go overseas and and uh, buy stuff for a company and bring it home and sell it to wholesalers. You know, and, or whatever. and your mom. My mom was mostly a homemaker. She was actually a substitute lunch lady some. Uh, okay. And, uh, but, uh, you know, she also drove a bus for early uh, early childhood education, a little, little short school bus. She mm-hmm. drove it. So I just wonder, though, if, like, your dad was a businessman, and you, it's it's almost like there's a combination between your spiritual beliefs and your understanding of business sort of gets involved there and helps you expand out a little bit, and I wondered if maybe... Well, there's an entrepreneurial thing there. Yeah. Uh, for sure that came from him well it's like I mean it sounds like well like you said earlier you know how to talk to people like you know how to sell what you're trying to sell which is God's word or you know oh yeah I get it and I mean it's just a very interesting thing your personality it sounds like like that you'd be able that you have successfully been able to do that because of that and maybe that business is what you're talking about well I, I, I just mean that part of doing all that is, has required you to, I, I guess you've had to incorporate and things like that to, to set up churches and whatnot, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, we've set up a couple of nonprofit corporations. We've started a couple of churches from mm-hmm. scratch. And so that's, uh, that's stuff I wish they had taught me more about back in yeah. Bible college. But instead, we just, find, we just find people with those skills to help us instead. Right. And so you went to Denver first and and then California, is that right? That's right. Uh, yeah. Did did you do that directly after leaving Fort Worth, Texas? Yeah, Fort Worth, seven years in Fort Worth, right out of college. Then three in Denver, uh, and Denver went so well, we left early. We'd planned to stay five, and then went to kind of went to Los Angeles. Yeah, and that's this is what interests me because I, I think about like how 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 people decide to do something. I mean, you 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 built. I understand why you built you built the church in in Texas, and then. At what point did you say, let's go to Denver? I mean, like, how did that come about? Let's see. I'm trying to think. I, I have a long story about this, but I can't. Oh. I can't put my finger on it. Um, uh, we took a trip, you know, and um, and I had this nagging question, you know. Uh, what what's the homeless population look like in Denver? Um, I I'd heard a rumor or I'd seen something, and oh well, no, I started to say it was Columbine, but actually we started Denver. Uh, we got our bell rung to go to Denver before Columbine, and we were making our excuses to God, saying, "Oh no 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 no, this is just in our minds," you know. And uh, and then you know we don't know anything about Denver. We don't know anybody in Denver, mm-hmm. and you know. And then Columbine happened, and that's all they talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And you know, on the news, and they run out of things to say. They don't stop talking. They just keep talking. And uh, so we were like, 
we just made this excuse that we don't know anybody or anything, and then suddenly that's all they were talking about. And um, and so we made a couple of trips, and we saw, you know, we, we opened our minds and said, God, wherever you have to show us in Denver, we're going to go there with our minds and our eyes open. And uh, what we saw was was thousands of homeless white teenagers, young teenagers, 16, 17 years old, uh, on the 16th Street Mall in Denver, and it blew our minds. And we knew the day we saw it, we knew we'll be moving here. We'll, we have to do something uh, to rally the church around this problem. And it's exactly what we did, and God provided the increase, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and the church folks got behind it, and it's rocking. Even now, they're, they're doing all kinds of good work at drybonesdenver.org. Look it up. Mm-hmm. And so they're uh, drybones.org? Drybonesdenver.org. Drybonesdenver.org. Okay. And uh, so what what do they do? They they feed people? or they... You know, we never fed people, but oh. people come behind us. You know, like they do the Thursday night pool thing. There's a coffee night where it's more of a conversation, you know, maybe they play cards. And then the church folks that that are older, that don't engage socially as well, they show up. And as we walk out the door, there's uh, somebody with a hot meal in the parking lot, mm. whatever. Now they don't do, don't shoot pool anymore because the pool hall changed hands, they bowl. There's like a bus that comes, a school bus that comes and picks everybody up downtown and takes them out to the suburb where there's a, a bowling alley and all the homeless kids and church kids go bowl together. And it's just another mindless activity that is a social lubricant. Uh, okay. And, and then they eat after. And then I guess probably something similar happened with California. You just... Yeah, we had uh, Dagwood's Pizza uh, had this kind of a pizza by the slice thing, made the church kids pay, and that funded uh, for the street kids. And uh, we we had uh, we played cards and you know and stuff with the with the homeless kids, and it just relationships formed. Did now? Uh, do you have any children? Or I have your, five. Uh, did you have them during these? trips like did you bring your whole family along yeah as we had them we brought them uh when we started we started uh fort worth we had one child we had two more over the seven years we were in fort worth uh then in denver we had one more child and uh and then here in arkansas we have one we had one more as soon as we got here we had one more child wow uh so it's weird though to me because that you you went from texas building this church then you went and you built this whole community in Denver and then again in California and it makes me like I can't even imagine why you came back this way to Arkansas well you know we got in California was rough on our family Uh, that's what I was going to ask you like why because I because I well I can just imagine it being like I'm not sure why it was rough on your family but I can imagine there's a lot of not dangerous elements but maybe there are I don't know no we just kind of the devil just kind of handed our butt to us. We had our our big our big suburban, our family car stolen, uh, you know, twice. Two different suburbans stolen just a few days apart. Uh, a couple of moves. This is all in our in the first forty days of being there. We we lost a car. It was replaced. That one was stolen. We had a move. Our apartment wasn't ready when we got there, so we were kind of camping in a two bedroom with four kids, and that that's stressful. Then on, you know, like our 30th day of being there, we moved everything across the apartment complex, which is harder than moving to another state. Moving 500 yards is harder than moving to another state because you don't pack, you know, you don't 
rent a truck, you know, really for that. And we owned a piano, and I just rolled it across the parking lot, you know, past the pool, through the gate, upstairs. Oh, yeah. I know a thing or two about that. Um, and, uh, you know, so <laughs> all that happened, and, and uh, you know, I thought, and, and uh, yeah, my wife just was unsettled. And so after I, we said we're going to finish our year, we had groups coming over the summer. We're going to finish our summer strong, and I'm going to look for a job. And I and I found uh, an associate ministry, kind of a regular preacher job, you know, for the first time ever, and uh, in Little Rock, and took it and moved my family here. So it was real, a real switch. It was, uh, you know, it was normal, and uh, so we've had all normal we want. <laughs> we're going back to weird, you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So that's uh you just you you felt like you needed to tone it down a little bit, slow it down a little bit, and gather yourself. Yeah. And you know the just the trouble that we encountered, it was time for it was time for a break, and that's what we thought we wanted. You know we thought we wanted normal, but until we got a good taste of it, you know, and then we remembered why we had left normal to begin with. Mm. Well, how long have you been in Arkansas? Ten years. Never stayed put so long anywhere. <laughs> and so you're about to. Go start a whole new thing down in Texas. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a kind of a church camp to speak to and speak to young people, millennials who are coming up, going, don't, don't be a yuppie, you know, <laughs> don't get, don't get in debt, don't buy a brand new house, don't buy a big house, you know, drive an older car, live simply, live cheaply, because there's so much good to do in the world, and all of our parents or all of their parents are are deeply in debt, over mortgaged. And they all say, I wish I could do more good, but they can't because they're strapped. You know, I heard a story last week about a lady who has a $300,000 house, two boats, brand new cars, and thinks her kid ought to get uh, a scholarship to go to church summer camp because because t- money's so tight. Well, it's only tight because you spend it all. And we're gonna, we just want to catch kids and go, wait, you know, this is not the life that Jesus described. <laughs> And um, and this suburban life that we live hurts our testimony. It makes our religion unbelievable because Jesus was homeless, and we and we and we live in luxury, you know, compared to well, compared to everyone, you know, not just the third world. We we live in luxury, suburban Christians, and so we're going wait, you know. So there's it's a, so it's a camp to teach that to young people all summer and to give them some kind of a test drive of what it's like in the third world and to invite them to the edge, to invite them to the second world to come and try to live a different way. Uh, so it's a camp, and then it's, it'll have a chapel, so we'll start a church because I'm a preacher. And so there'll be a church there on campus, and uh, we'll, it will also form us a community. We'll have, you know, kind of picture a church with RV hookups, you know, where folks can come and kind of stay put and help out and share in a, a uh, different kind of life and maybe export it because they're portable yeah yeah that's um are are these you you're talking about people who to just help people go to school and things like that without setting themselves in debt or? well i wish i had the answer to education without debt but i'm just yeah. i'm mostly talking about your your big your big investments like houses and cars you know in 1955 the average american house was 200 square foot per person yeah. and now it's over a thousand and we don't, and we're not better for it you know our families aren't richer they're not better because of it we might be better off in a smaller house and it's easier it's cheaper to run that house and so and, and think of the cash you'd have if you didn't have a 3000 square foot house to pay for and heat and cool 
that frees up cash to do good. And all Christians want to do good. At least they say they do. And so we want to go, let me show you how you can afford to do lots of good. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, if I understand it correctly, I mean, you're just teaching the scripture with, like, the practical aspect of being, like, financial responsibility. And, like, thus, once you have that financial responsibility, you can use the excess to perform good acts and things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we, Jesus says more about money than he says about your soul, you know. Uh, he wants us to be good to each other. He wants us to take care of poor people. Uh, you know, he, he wants us to get ourselves out of the center of the universe. And, um, you know, just over and over and over, he's going, think of others. Think of the stranger and the alien. Think of the widow and the orphan. And we don't think much of them, we, but we think an awful lot of ourselves and our comforts. And so we're just going, let me challenge you to forego some of your privileges. Because you say you follow Jesus. Well, Jesus, for he, he gave up his privileges to become a human being so that he could reach you, so he could save you, you know? So if we want to follow Jesus, then we need to be examining ourselves. How can we give up privileges? And if, we, if we're not willing to do that, we might not be Christians. We might just be good old boys. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you expect that it will go as well as Denver? And Well, because I was like so intrigued by your comment earlier, like, how when you were in Denver and in California, or specifically Denver, like the Christians, because it wasn't good for business there, they were like, uh, what's the word? Not more pure, but they were They were authentic, yeah. to be sure. As opposed to like everybody in the South has like the label of Christianity because they live here. And it's, it's like, so because it's in Texas and it's still in that Bible Belt sort of thing, do you think that you'll have that authentic experience? Well, I hope to because... Abilene is a home of seven colleges, and I love college kids. College kids believe anything is possible. They're idealistic, and we've had a great success. I've had 48 college interns over my career, and uh, just we just do well with them, and they're ready to try anything. And lots of kids who've grown up with relative comfort and security are kind of fed up with it and would, would rather make a difference than be comfortable. And so I feel, I feel like there's enough weirdos out there that uh, we can gather some together to, to do to just live live a little different, and uh, you know, invite you know Saint uh, Saint Patrick invited people out to the edge. Um, he came up to the edge of town and called people out, come and come and test drive a different kind of living, different kind of life. And so that's what we're going to try to do. Are you going to be building anything out there, like like a yeah, we're we're physically building structures. Absolutely, or? we're closing on eleven and a half acres in uh, on the thirty first of this month. And uh, it has water and power up to the property line, and that is it. It's raw. It's it's flat, raw land. And so we will. The first thing we'll build will be a chapel, and I'm going to build it with two two fifty three foot shipping containers. I'm going to set them on the ground and dig piers, concrete piers, and weld uh, weld the containers down to the piers, and then we'll just set trusses across those and build a build a big chapel, eighteen hundred square feet, roughly chapel out of shipping containers and a kind of a do-it-yourself project. And then uh, the dorms and the shower houses will also be made of shipping containers as well as our home, which will follow that. Uh, and then after that, we'll build a house like there might be in Africa, like there might be in Honduras, like there might be in Singapore, and to create a kind of a global village. Each year, we'll build a new uh, Southern Hemisphere-type house. Yeah, that's, it, it, 
it reminds me of like transcendentalism or something it's just like so yeah well, that's very much like what it is it's, it's like what is it Walden yeah Walden, yeah Oh yeah, love. Uh, you know, we read through that with our our small group at church. Uh, well, we didn't we didn't uh, read through Walden, but we did a lot of talking about about him and and uh, read through. Uh, uh, was it Anthony DeMello has a book about? Uh, he's a, he's a dead Jesuit priest who lived his whole life in India, and he he uh, kind of got us on this path a little bit of going get outside of yourself, and uh, you know, solidarity with the world's poor helps us to understand helps us to have empathy and compassion better and so we want to give folks a test drive of what it might be like to be uh to live in the third world so yeah well, well you try might try to recreate it you might find henry david thoreau like an interesting read oh yeah i've read every word uh I, i've quoted many times on uh, second world experiment oh, okay. is on facebook and uh I, I love thoreau and i find him to be a better christian than many 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 folks i've met that's so fascinating it's <laughs> like you guys are drawing from all these sources and just like hmm. My whole life is pointing me to this. My parents were depression era people, you know. Mm-hmm. They were thrifty people. They straightened nails, you know. <laughs> they didn't waste. And uh and my peers had a different generation of parents, you know, and but that just everything everything's pointing me to the, this next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh just what while we were on that, you said if people wanted to learn more about it, they could go to Facebook and that Second World Experiment. Yeah, Second World Experiment with a two. Number two N D, Second World Experiment, um, is on Facebook. We just bought secondworldexperiment.org, uh, which is not up yet, but it's in, in the works. Uh Second World Experiment on what's the one with pictures? Instagram. Oh, okay, yeah. Um and uh <laughs> And then YouTube, uh, there's we have this great video that a, a fine gentleman produced for us uh, that is on YouTube as well, Second World Experiment. Okay, okay. Um, and you, uh, so I mean, it seems really, it's just you've you've lived this kind of um, I don't even know what to call it, but it very much you have a you've had a direction your whole life. It seems like you've just I have. kind of moving towards the same goal. I've always here. known what I was supposed to do. And um, so from Texas to Denver to California to Arkansas, now heading back to Texas again, all sort of pursuing the same goal. Would you say that this that's this second world experiment that you're coming into now, that that is the apex of what you've been trying to do? Or? Uh, you're going back know. to where it started, right? You said Abilene? Well, you know, I, I did. I did. We went to college there in Abilene and... Um, you know, I don't know if this is the apex or not. I know that I, I won't live a long time. And so I've tried, I think I've got one more in me, you know. And, uh, you know, what I learned from from reading the Lord's Prayer is that it's about His name and His kingdom and His will and not about me or my legacy. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I want to give God one more uh, because He's shown me, He's given me a message. And so I, I want to do my best to get it out there uh, for His name and His kingdom, His glory. Uh yeah, and so uh, this is not a culmination. It's not the end. It's not. It's not. Well, maybe it is a high point, but I don't see it as a high point with a drop off right at the end. It's just. Uh, it's just the next next thing. What we've done in in Fort Worth and in Denver and in Los Angeles was go to people and say, "I know God's will, and I have a plan." Another way we've said it. I've just learned that lately to say, I, ha- "I know God's will, and I have a plan." Before, I always just said. We see a good thing that needs doing, and when we realize that 
the good thing needs doing, that's what the voice of God sounds like. When you say someone should do something about that, that's the voice of God telling you, well, get get on that. Go go on ahead and start, you know, because that's what I've put you here to do. And so um, so in the past, we always said we see a good thing needed doing, and we create an infrastructure for God's people to do it. And so, and that's what we've done in Fort Worth. We organized uh, the church to fund a, ch- a church in the inner city and to feed people and to help them create a plan to make their life better. You know, and, and in Denver, we hung out with street kids and tried to lead them to to know uh, to know Christ and His teachings, and to perhaps get off the street and make a better life. If they saw fit to to change, we wanted to be there to help them help them change because there's while it might be really cool to be homeless as a kid, it's not very cool. Once you're older, you know, uh, in in Los Angeles and and even here is the same way. I was hired at this church because I'd started a church before, and they wanted to be a church and started churches. So we came came and helped develop the infrastructure for people to to get where they wanted to go. Yeah. Um, do you want to do you want to do a southern story, or do you have another question? Uh, well, I guess. I mean. I guess it's Southern story time, but I was kind of curious, um, since you've grown up mostly in the South, like what is it that you think is to be Southern? Like, what does that mean? And do you consider yourself a Southern person because of that? Or is it like, because talking to you, I seem to think that you have like a, like a bigger picture. Like there's no culture. I mean, you have like, you were talking about the uppies and upper class and all this stuff, but like at the same time, it's like it's really just God, you know. Yeah, we're in the business of starting a new culture right now. That's I mean that's what the, that's what second world is making it a cool cool to be thrifty uh, or to to be simple. Um, but I do feel southern, and I have a beautiful ideal of southernness that has nothing to do with reality. But you know, in my in my mind's eye, being southern is very sweet tea, and it is being a good neighbor, and it's being righteous. You know, we lost the war, and a good Southerner is a neighbor to his black neighbor, even though we have a shared awful history. You know, we've we we lost, and and that somehow brought us down to where we maybe should we're supposed to be. Uh, um, being being Southern in is it is it is being righteous, uh, in my mind, but I, it's not real. You know, I would I'd love to live there, you know, but I haven't found it. Uh, But, uh, you know, being Southern is is enjoying uh, outdoors, uh, the the sunsets and the the fireflies and maybe a little moonshine. And, and, uh, you know, uh, the richness of, of life that I don't picture when I picture Minnesota, you know, uh, I have a. I grew up on the Dukes of Hazard, and I have a beautiful Southern ideal that I've hardly run into, except in people. You know, good people, cooking, cooking grits that I enjoyed. You know, um, and in I find the South in relationships, but I don't see it in the culture, because mm-hmm. culture is so much just commercial. You know, let me sell you a a grit. You know, let yeah. me sell you a Mardi Gras. Right. Let me sell you a, a, a whatever, you know. And we don't have the experience. We just have souvenirs. Mm. Oh, that's well said. Uh, do you, um, and do you, do you consider yourself a Southern? Oh, with, without doubt. Yeah. Um, 
do you want to do a southern story okay so we I, I know i gave you the form so that you could look at it and see the questions and i some sometimes people aren't quite prepared because they don't know how to take this but we we like to sort of end the show with asking you to just imagine a story that involves you in some way that you see as just a particularly southern experience and um that you think characterizes the south in some way because like you were just talking about you know you you see the south in individual relationships like is there anything in that that is like over over abundance in, in southern quality like any particular one that comes to mind well i don't i don't know if it's a great story but i had one just the other day yeah. i uh was driving back uh from a visit to texas uh i was driving back uh, here to to Little Rock and uh, or to Benton, and my van. I had a little Toyota van, uh, and it broke. It broke down. It broke down severely, mm. and after a couple of stops and a couple of failed repairs, uh, I started hitchhiking home. And I was in Caddo Mills, Texas, and uh, which is nowhere, nowhere, you know, out along Highway 30, and and I began to hitchhike, and I'd made a bad luggage choice that day, and I just actually had a suitcase instead of a a backpack which I generally carry so I'm walking down Interstate 30 with a with a suitcase and a little a little lady uh, maybe with a little Latino in her heritage stopped and and uh, in her pickup and and uh, she stopped and stopped ahead of me and she got out and moved her her vegetables from the front seat to the back so that to make a seat for me and uh, and she picked me up, uh, and and had plans to carry me as far as Sulphur Springs. But before we got more than about three miles, um, and and only barely into her story because she was going to save me, and I was glad to be saved in every way. Uh, before we could get very far down the road, there was a, a black couple that was they were dressed to the nines and they were on their way to a graduation and their car broken down and she picked them up too uh -huh. and so she had a truckload and they're holding <laughs> you know they're holding a basket of cucumbers and bell peppers in their lap as we take them down to the tire shop to have their tire repaired and so it's just this menagerie going down the going down the uh the, the interstate 30 and before it's over you know I had a chance to pray for this woman that she that she could find a job because she was unemployed yet doing good deeds for for us and and it was uh and, and for a moment I was transported into into uh you know the into this magical southern place you know song of the south with singing animals who who everyone just did good for one another and it was rich it was a rich yeah, it experience. Seems really surreal, actually. Yeah, that's good. No, that is a good story. Yeah, it's, it's actually very beautiful. It, yeah. it it's straight. You made that up, didn't you? No, it <laughs> happened to me. Uh, honest, uh, honest engine. I uh, just just the other day. Oh man. <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you coming out here and sharing, you know, your stories and your time with us. And I hope your Texas adventure goes well as well as your previous endeavors. I mean, it sounds like you'll be successful because you sound like a successful person. Well, there's, it, it's it's Texas or bust because yeah. we're risking everything this time. Well, you can always come back, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you.
And there was Jeff Metter's Southern Story. Jeff Metter's. Yep. Preacher man extraordinaire, Southern man extraordinaire. That's right. Uh, I, that, I think it was uh, uh, an enlightening episode. I think it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like I learned something in that, although if I was to say what it is right now, I wouldn't. I'd be hard-pressed to define it. But there was just something over the whole course of it that I felt was elucidating yeah i you know i think i i loved his southern story particularly i it 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 seemed so fantas fanciful i don't know yeah it's it was just like so not surreal but just like so many right things oh yeah it was like a scene from a movie yeah, yeah. it was just it was it was as if it was orchestrated yeah like there were symbolism with the briefcase and yeah I mean, but it was it was definitely a nice southern story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if and I want to thank Jeff. If I mean, I don't know if he's listening or not, but for coming out and spending time talking to us, and also just discussing his second world project, mm-hmm. um, which if you're interested in that as well, we'll have some information regarding that in our blog. Yeah, you can check that out at wordpress.com/slash Southern Stories Podcast. You can also find the Second World Experiment on uh, Facebook if you're interested in learning a little more. Yeah, I think he. I think he mentioned like specifically. Where okay. To, yeah. Yeah. And, just go back in the episode a little bit. Uh, also, we'll find it and it'll be on the blog. Um. Yeah. So. Other than that, I don't know. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for checking in. Um, and if you guys, uh, you know. You know, you can always listen to us on iTunes. You can hear us on SoundCloud. You can hear us on Stitcher. Yeah, you know, leave a comment, leave a review. Let us know how you felt about the whole episode. And uh, we'll keep cranking them out. Yeah, we look forward to uh, talking to you again uh, next week-ish. Week-ish, yeah. We've got a flexible schedule, but <laughs> I guess that's okay. Nobody's nobody's complained. <laughs> Uh, In the meantime, uh, don't judge a southern cow by its moo. Moo. Moo.